This is the What Matters Most podcast. A 100% listener-supported program. And now, here is your host, Paul Samuel Dolman. Welcome back to What Matters Most. Hey, shout out to all of you around the world who listen. I was just chatting with a guest how this started organically, holistically, maybe 10 years ago. And it has grown into this beautiful family, a tribe, and how we have people who are CEOs in Wall Street on some of these big firms who write to me, and also farmers around the world, and entrepreneurs, and young people, and spiritual teachers, scientists. So thank you all. You make it happen. In a beautiful full circle, I have been following this guest's work for a long time, and I just thought, man, one day I'd love to talk to this this beautiful guy. And then I saw this movie, Fantastic Fungi, which just blew my mind. I watched it about nine times, at least. Dragging friends to the cinema. You got to see this on a big screen. And so now it's come full circle. And he has a new film out called Gratitude Revealed, which if you listen to the show, you know, Gratitude is one of my bedrocks. It's such a joy and an honor to finally connect with my spirit brother and the great, great filmmaker, Louis Schwartzberg. Thanks so much for coming on, Louis. Oh, Paul, thank you for that great intro. And what a joy it is to connect with you and, and your community. Yeah, and I just had to tip to you, not just because you're sitting here with me, but it's just that you have been doing beautiful work for a long time. You make us look at the bigger picture and also the micro picture, but see the wonder in all of it. So you, shout out to you for that. Well, sharing it is the greatest gift of all. That's why I do it, because it's work. But sharing it is what makes my heart you know, jump and uh, gives me the the pleasure that you don't always get when you're in the middle of a jungle or on top of a mountain or getting your ass bit by mosquitoes, you know, these little magic, magical, you know, nuggets of wonder and awe in nature are little, you know, gifts that I love to share. Hey, your parents and their history had a profound influence on you. Will you share with the worldwide audience about that? Yes. Um, you know, both my parents were Holocaust survivors. And so, um, you know, growing up under their, roof in their home, I mean, I definitely learned a lot about gratitude because they were grateful for every little thing that came their way. You know, food on the table, um, a steady job, a roof over their head, the miracle of being able to have children. My mom had been given soup in, in Auschwitz, which was, you know, uh, designed to make women sterile. So she had no idea whether she'd even be able to have children. And um, so growing up in that world, yeah, you appreciate all the little things in life, but you also want to be a, a warrior to fight for social justice and to make sure that those events never happen again. And um, I think what was interesting is it kind of flipped me into being a really, you know, advocate for the environment because I want to protect all the little guys, you know, the bees, the bats, the hummingbirds, the, the fungi, the microbes. That's what makes the world go round. And um, so I'm just against anything that faces extinction. I want life to be protected. And, um, you know, whether it's a, um, a bee or um, a human being, it's all the same to me. That's beautiful. And they must have had a tremendous spirit to have survived all of that. And you talk about extinction. There was a system designed to create a mass extinction and also a personal extinction. And somehow, like so many, they were able to rise above it. Yeah. Well, and that's what 
I think in the conversations you're having with all these incredible leaders, you know, we need to perhaps become more, you know, awake, mindful. And, and what that does is it changes behavior, which is what we need. It's that shift of consciousness because, you know, going back to Earth Day 1970, you know, we've been talking about all these things like renewable energy, don't recycle, you know, um, you know, justice for, for people of that are marginalized or people of color, women's liberation, all that stuff was happening on Earth Day 1970. Yet when you put the science out there, it didn't change people's behavior. And I think that what we need now is like a new story, a story that's all about celebration of life, that's not based on fear, that's turning people on to beauty and um, in order to protect what we love. So that's the perfect moment we're in right now. And you know what you're doing, and, and I think what I'm doing as well here is we're, we're bypassing the gatekeepers that put primarily fear and anxiety out there you know, the old-fashioned story, macho story, killer be killed, revenge, pressing the fear button, which is like easy to do, and um, putting out things that make people laugh, cry, and feel is a lot harder. It takes talent. But that's the shift of consciousness I think we need right now. Given your history, too, you have to be alarmed by the rise of fascism and anti-Semitism both here in America and around the world. Yeah, I think we have to be vigilant you know, which is really important. And that's what I definitely have learned, I think, from my parents' experience. But at the same time, we have to be careful that we don't, you know, spend all our time in that world. It's pretty easy to get sucked into the news and seeing what's going on. But again, that's an example of somebody trapping your consciousness because attention and consciousness are one and the same. So as much as I want to see Donald Trump perhaps... Uh, you know, face some form of justice if he did anything wrong. It's like, I don't want to live in that that trial forever. <laughs> because if I'm doing that, we're not affecting the change that needs to happen. And like, we're living his story. And it's hard to turn away from that story. Like I say, it's important that we be vigilant. Um, the scary part right now, Paul, is the fact that you know, propaganda was kind of invented in World War II with Hitler and Lenny Riefenstahl, you know, making movies to manipulate your emotion to feel a certain way. And then we made, you know, movies as well to to inspire our military, you know, the Why We Fight series. Guys like Frank Capra, all the great Hollywood filmmakers made, you know, uh, inspirational little short films. Um, but it was obvious, like, who made it and where it was coming from. The scary part now is we don't know who is making these messages and where it comes from. And so it takes a tremendous amount more sophistication or visual literacy. Remember, it used to be like the news was Walter Cronkite and maybe NBC and ABC, right? We didn't have all this proliferation of fake news. That's the part that I think has enabled this right-wing, you know, um, anti-Semitic, racial rhetoric i think to emerge hey and, and circling back to your parents because i've lost mine i'm assuming yours are gone don't you have a deeper and deeper appreciation of them over time like i'll be walking around and all of a sudden i'll think oh my god they were amazing people they did this they did that they were so brilliant but sadly or poetically i didn't have the ability or the scope especially as a young child 
but even 20 years ago to appreciate them as much as I do today. It's like I've grown and I can now see how magnificent they were. Do you have that with yours? For sure. I mean, my mom, she uh, she worked at a senior living home. Um, she prepared lunches for my dad and, you know, my sister and me. My dad worked as a tool and die maker in aerospace. And um, she took care of everything. And I swear to God, I don't think I ever heard her say once that she was, you know, tired or low on energy. You know, she actually loved everything that she was doing and appreciated it immensely. And as I look back now, I'm just so blown away by that. You know, I mean, she took care of all of it with joy. And and that's why, you know, with Gratitude Revealed and, and the stuff I've shot, I love telling these stories of people who can, who overcome adversity, but have joy and love and hope in their lives. I mean, those are the stories I really love to tell. And I think that's what gratitude is about, is that the, the, the idea of resilience. So when I look back at my parents, it's just a giant lesson that resilience, you know, um, makes you stronger, makes you, gives you the ability to love, you know, engenders gratitude. Um, it's the key to, to all of that. So, yeah, that's one of the big lessons. And the other thing, Paul, when you reflected, I think, back on your parents, I just read something really interesting was like Thich Nhat Hanh said that, you know, our parents, you know, didn't have maybe as much free time as we do, you know, the luxury of contemplation, you know, i.e. meditate. I know that that was even not in my parents' universe at all. So when you walk, this is a really cool thing. When you take that walk, walk with your mom, walk with your dad. Every step you take, just imagine you're walking with them and then you're giving them that gift of that that you know relaxed opportunity to go on a walk. I don't my parents never did that. Did yours? No. And he is one of my favorite teachers where he's just points at all the most beautiful things in great simplicity. So anyway, that's a little gift that we can share with everybody. Just take a walk with your parents. Louis, did they ever come to you? Because I'll say this, and I've said it on other shows. They come to me several nights a week in what I would call an altered state. I once asked them, are we meeting in dreams? And dad said, no, this is an interdimensional interaction. And we set this up and we're in our costumes, so we recognize each other. But it's as real as this dimension, I swear on my life. And then I'll, we dine, we'll have coffee, we hug, I cry, we drive, we talk about things. And then... I don't know it's a dream until I wake up, and I'm pretty sure when I pass from this earth, it's going to be the same thing where I go, oh, oh, wow, that was a wild dream. It's it's probably, look, it is real because, you know, consciousness, whether it's a dream state or a wake state, I mean, I'm certainly aware that um, we have to have a broader view of of what is, you know, real. Because, look, when that, when that ship you know, sails over the horizon. The people on that ship are still here. Just because we don't see them doesn't mean they've disappeared. And in the work I've done, where I do slow-mo and, and macro and micro and time-lapse, you know, I'm showing people stuff that the human eye can't see, but it's real. So just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not real. Is your work that you're doing 
a part of your own inner healing and maybe the generational healing too? I mean, I know you're putting out this beautiful art and we're all getting to enjoy it, but is there a healing aspect to the work you're doing for yourself? That's a great question. The answer is yes. You know, look, I'm connecting with, I feel like with the rhythms and patterns to touch the deepest part of my soul, but it's not just my soul. It's all of our souls because those rhythms and patterns are a reflection of everything that's going on inside of every cell of your body, right? And what's going on, you know, outside in in the universe, in every galaxy. And I know it to be true because we're actually starting to implement it in healthcare. Because people that have seen like my moving art series on Netflix, I've gotten hundreds of comments from parents that would talk about children that are autistic having a major breakthrough, teenagers that are suicidal, saving their life, mostly people with stress, anxiety, people facing cancer or a severe diagnosis or end-of-life anxiety. All of them have written to me and said that it helped them, you know? And I've never claimed that it's a healing modality. So the moving art series is gorgeous nature of different ecosystems with music, but no narration, which I think is key so that it enables you to go on your own personal journey and just look at into a mirror, right? That Because we are nature. And you're just looking into a mirror and it speaks to you just like plant medicine can speak to you or surfing a wave can speak to you. It's all um, sacred and it touches your soul and it's universal. And so I feel that, yeah, it healed me, but I know it also heals others, which only makes me more confident in your question that it it is a healing modality for myself, which I never really thought about. I was going to ask you too, when I saw the fantastic fungi from one of multiple times, I wondered if you had taken some journeys with the plant medicines, and if you did, what did you see? What did you experience, and how were you changed? Well, I feel that in my first experiences were, you know, when I was exploring things in college, which was a really great time to uh, be kind of bursting the bubble on everything. This was like 1970, and, you know, everything from, you know, the politics with... um, you know, the assassinations of Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy and, you know, the Chicago riots to, you know, uh, women's liberation, the Black Power movement, Latino movement, um, drugs, you know, being told that if you smoke marijuana, you become a heroin addict. All all those, you know, false lies were being, you know, exposed. And so definitely I, I took a sacred trip or two and i would definitely say that it influenced my filmmaking because you know i wanted to show people how you know being in the moment which is what you feel being ultimately present losing your ego is what i think um i'm able to share when people see my time lapse you know uh, footage you know people stare at a flower for <laughs> or a blade of grass when they're on a sacred trip because of the beauty and and the the immensity of it you know george o'keefe said you know you can see the world in a flower buddha said you can see the world in a flower i mean so you just all those little things we walk by every day and take for granted is what i try to show and that's very much i think what happens when people take you know 
a sacred journey with plant medicine, you become very present and you, there is a loss of ego. And I think when you can see the world from the point of view of a flower, a hummingbird, or a redwood, you lose your ego and you become present. And when that happens, then you're able to feel wonder and awe. And uh, I think that's the ultimate blissful moment of all. And I'm sure you could see yourself in everything and that you are everything and everything is you. And, and in that, all our mortal fears vanish because it's like the dreams I spoke of a few minutes ago. And then it frees us to enjoy and deeply immerse in our mortality, not to check out and bypass, but not walk around, you know, scared of what's around every corner and live from fear, but to live in an openness and a wonder because we've had a fleeting glimpse, like Pink Floyd might have sang about, about this ultimate truth. Yeah, I mean, look, and then once you get that glimpse of it, then the question is, like, what are you going to do with it? You know, how do you activate? Because, you know, the people who, who do go on sacred journeys, it's really critical, whether it's in healthcare or other places, um, it's integration. You know, you have this aha moment, you feel connected to everything, you feel a speck in the universe, you feel that sense of of global universal unity which you know eliminates fear eliminates fear of dying which is why it's so powerful for people that are going through end of life or, or cancer you know um treatments it's really important but then you have to integrate and the integration is what are you going to do with that wisdom in terms of your relationships your community your friends your family the world um that's the other half of it and that's the important part so in a way, I never thought about it, Paul, but like after I made Gratitude Revealed, which I did for a couple of practical reasons like COVID, but but why, like what does fantastic fungi have to do with gratitude? You know, and, and people have asked that question and then it dawned on me. It's like fantastic fungi, it's like a deep dive into nature's intelligence, right? The mycelial network where ecosystems flourish without greed, and you want to take that knowledge and that wisdom from below the ground, above the ground. And you want to be able to have that, you know, be integrated, as I said, into your world, into your life. So I think gratitude revealed is like a journey into the soul. You know, we need to take that blueprint, nature's operating instructions, and be able to find ways to integrate that into our lives, you know, biomimicry, wonderful patterns and rhythms that can help us figure out our energy needs and, and how to live sustainably, but also the spiritual side of it too, you know, that, you know, mother tree takes care of its, of its babies. They share nutrients. You know, the forest is a community, not a bunch of individuals. And it's a shared economy, you know, and it's beautiful. I was grateful when I saw it and I'm grateful because nature, whenever I'm in nature, I get thrown into wonder and openness and, a larger sense of expansion. I said to you before we came on, if I ever feel troubled, I want to feel it, but if I go out at night and look at the stars, I literally did it two nights ago. I was so sad about the latest shooting, which happened a mile from where I was living in Nashville. And I went out not to minimize that, but I looked at the stars and I almost laughed and cried at the same time because the world breaks your heart. It can be so barbaric. It's so personal and yet it's so impersonal and so vast. And I was right out there on the balance beam in between this and that, eternity and the finite. But the scope of it, that I could see a star, which might not even be around, the light is so old, or that that might even be a galaxy. And 
I just thought, I'm so infinitely small. Don't get caught up in the small things. Feel it. But always remember you're part of this vast, infinite mosaic that you'll never understand. But the gratitude to be able to even gasp at it and gape at it for a moment was, was overwhelming. I cried and I came back in. Well, there you are on that fulcrum. And it's not like, you know, it's all about balance. And really it's choosing like which reality do I want to live in? You know, the, the quote unquote, you know, vigilant world we have to be aware of versus like, you know, the, the deep stars. I think that you need the strength of the deep stars to fill your soul, to make you strong, to give you peace inside it in order, in order to be a Jedi warrior, you know, to fight the good fight. You need to be strong. You can't, you know, um, you can't love others unless you love yourself. You've heard that phrase, right? And you you can't be strong, you know, as as a warrior to to affect social or environmental change unless you're really strong inside. You just gave me a great epiphany, brother. I was thinking that by ironically looking up so far and within so that it actually grows you deep roots. And you need really deep roots to survive the storms of the moment, of the now, of the linear life, of the savagery of our linear mortal coil. Otherwise, you'll just get blown over and you'll be knocked around like a tumbleweed. But if you're this ancient redwood with this deep, deep roots, you can survive even the fires of the day, you know, the fires of despair. That Thank you. Thank you for that. I could feel it. Well, a lot of times, you know, when... When I talk about the pollinators and I get like, you know, I'm doing a presentation and I'm getting um, nervous, you know, and uh, I I just tell myself that, you know, I got to get those butterflies in my stomach to fly in formation. And, and I'm standing up for the little guys, you know, I mean, they have my back. That That's what gives me the strength and gives us the courage. You look at those stars, you know, they have your back. They're giving you uh, more energy than, than you can ever even tap into, right? To fight the good fight. You've got all of nature behind you. That's powerful. How did you come upon this idea to create this beautiful film on gratitude? Again, because of my upbringing with my folks and um, always appreciating the little things, what happened when COVID occurred and we were, you know, we transitioned fantastic fungi from theatrical distribution to, um, you know, virtual screenings, which we actually pioneered before anybody did. And we actually shared revenue with the theaters because then the theaters would take that money and had food banks when you know, COVID hit just, you know, in the March of like 2019. Um, so, you know, at that moment, I could have gotten film for, <laughs> it lasted a couple of years, if not longer. And I've been, you know, gathering all these like little nuggets with remarkable but ordinary people. Again, little mini stories of people who've overcome adversity but have love and hope in their lives. And I thought, well, now's the time I finally got to put it together. I had a TED talk, I think, in 2014 about gratitude. It went viral. And I knew there was an audience out there for it like a long time ago. And um, it was the perfect time to put it together, also because COVID made us aware again how we take things for granted like being able to see your family being able to go out to dinner with friends um this feeling of disconnection and the feeling of despair with the environmental crisis the fact that the political discourse is in the gutter it's understandable that 
you know, people are talking about this giant mental health crisis we're encountering at the moment. And so um, it's the perfect film for the perfect moment. I thank the universe for orchestrating it for me, you know, that this is the perfect time for it to be released and to get people to um, give them an opportunity to realize that there's one little thing they can do. And that is simply and so easy. It's just to be able to, to be grateful. It's not the solution or the antidote to everything I just described. What it is, it's a baby step in the right direction that can stop you from dwelling in a negative spiral, you know, and pull you out of that just for a moment. And it's really simple. All you have to do is say, what can I be grateful for? Can I be grateful for the fact that my fingers move, that I'm breathing, um, that I got kids, that um, that I'm looking at the at the leaves blowing on that tree. I'm looking at the cracks in the sidewalk that looks like a river. I mean, you it's easy to find something you can be grateful for. And when you do that, you've stopped the negative spiral. And it gives you a, a pause on living in this world of fear and anxiety and despair, which apparently is overwhelming right now in this particular time that we live in. So true. And for me, it sends the mind in a different trajectory. It, like it points it in a direction. The mind by nature is trying to keep us alive. So it looks for problems. And there aren't a lot of tigers hiding in the bushes in the modern world. So it invents things and anxieties, and some are true. So rather than have it naturally go that way on its default setting, when I open my eyes and also when I go to bed, or I, if I remember during the day, I'll just randomly like challenge it. I'll go, give me, give me 10 obvious great things that if they weren't here, I'd be so bummed about. And it's like, well, we have coffee, we have running water, indoor plumbing, we had a bed, we had a roof. Look, we're walking around. We could take a pee. It worked. We have a car. We have a house. Oh, look, Steve's calling our great friend. We have friends. Oh, you're going to interview Louie later? Oh, my God, you love his stuff. You got, oh, look, you got five emails from different people that listen to the show. We're going to read those. And, and then all of a sudden, it's at, it's up to 19 things. And then I go, and and it just goes off to find what's right. And otherwise, if I leave it alone, it'll tell me 10 things that are wrong. Or if it can't find those It'll tell me 20 things that might happen that are bad. And I'll even go, oh, my God, to my mind, that aspect. Oh, I didn't know we were playing what if something bad happens. Ask me when it happens. There's actually a physical thing. It's like your hard drive. I mean, you, you if you fill your hard drive with good stuff, there's no room for the bad stuff to go in. You can't have a negative thought and a positive thought at the same time, you know? And so while you're thinking about the positive things, you're actually putting up a firewall on the negative things from entering. And that is great. And, and what you have to realize is that it's easier to go negative than positive because of the fear thing, because of that you know primal thing. Like you said, there's no more lions and tigers on the outside of our cave, you know, but we're hardwired to do that. And we react that way, creating cortisol every time there's a bad phone call. Every time there's a threat, somebody doesn't like me, um, I didn't get that job, you know, all those little things that are happening in our lives, you know, generates that adrenaline that is, you know, fight or flight. So it takes actual effort and it takes a muscle in, in your brain to say, I'm going to shift away from that just for one little moment and do all the things that you just mentioned that I could be grateful for.
you know and and all and what you're doing is you're immediately going in in a different direction and who knows where that'll take you and it'll change your biology and physiology or neural pathways we've had dr dan siegel on other mind body experts that are also scientists and doctors they can measure it these aren't like mystic hocus pocus new age bullshit that's really a scientific fact that by uh this like meditation is great for your body i don't care what you believe in it's it'll help every natural bodily function go better and the same with this gratitude paradigm it'll change your biology and your physiology it change your cell structure and then if they found that to be true like journaling is the obvious one that people you know suggest we have like a little companion book that enables people to journal but you know the the data proves it like you're saying you know we're we're using it in in in, in a trial currently in the oncology unit at UCSD. Um, we just finished a, a clinical trial with the Pacific Neuroscience, Neuroscience Institute in Santa Monica at St. John's, where we combine psilocybin with my imagery to treat alcohol addiction, and the results are super positive. Um, there, there's, a, there's a lot of really cool stuff to explore. And obviously, we all know whether gratitude is good for you or nature is good for you or looking at, you know, my imagery as a healing modality. Um, it's great that we're getting now the scientific evidence that it does actually physiologically and psychologically improve your well-being. Do you have a meditation or awareness practice to keep you sane in all this? I know you live in LA, so you better have to have one. <laughs> actually, my meditation practice, I just realized, is what I've been doing for like 40 years, is first thing in the morning, I wake up and I go down and I check out the time-lapse room to see if the flowers have opened. You know, are they still in frame? And by doing that, it just connects me to the organic world of plants. I go in the garden, you know, and try to see who's next, uh, who wants their close-up. And then I recently read that in the Blue Zones all around the world, you know, that, that that book where they study these places where people have lived the longest. Um, one of the things they found in common with all of them is that people start their day by going into the garden. Before they have tea and coffee, they start their day by going in the garden, tend the garden, and then they come inside. So it puts you, I think, in touch with your, um, you know, biorhythms. Um, and for me, it's been like a practice because I have to kind of keep the balls in the air juggling because if something died, which happens a lot or isn't a good shot, I immediately have to replace it because the most uh, difficult and let's call it even expensive aspect of filming time-lapse cinematography is time. So I can't squander an hour a day of it, the camera's not rolling because uh it takes a day to shoot two to three seconds of film. So I have to keep it going constantly in order to have the 20 hours of film I currently have took 40 years to film of time-lapse flowers, plants, and mushrooms. You must absolutely love what you do. Yeah, of course I do. I'm looking at the sexual organ of the plant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm zooming, I'm doing a deep dive inside of it. And that flower is designed by nature to to tell the pollinators, like, I'm gorgeous. Um, I'm, I'm come get me because 
my color, my scent, my pattern, my rhythms. I need I need to get fertilized, you know. And um, I'm, my my window is short, and I have nectar for you. And yeah, you need to be my uh, my messenger to move my pollen from you know one flower to another, so life can go forward. Sounds like a date, a great dating profile. It is thing you could put that up there for somebody if you want to steal it. If you're listening, it might be God. The brilliance of this, so the, you know, I, I became more grateful and I met my soulmate through that. Totally. Well, the beautiful thing is, but the beautiful thing is, it's not sex, you know, because it it's actually more it mystically, you know, amazing because it's the intersection between the animal world and the plant world. It's not even the same species, you know, or anything like that. It's the animal world getting along with the plant world, which enables life to flourish on our planet. Because if that didn't happen, we wouldn't have the fruits, nuts, seeds, and vegetables that keep us alive in a healthy way. We are the beneficiaries of this, like, symbiotic relationship that, you know, we have to be careful not to unravel because of our practices of using pesticides and other things which could just blow the whole foundation of life so i don't want to skew negative i'm just saying i'm so grateful that i'm aware of the beauty that i'm looking at because that beauty is actually the score that orchestrates the dance of life and not to skew negative, but if I'm realistic, and I've had a lot of scientists on many times and all kinds of other people involved, if we don't transform our trajectory and make changes, the Earth will be fine. There'll be a lot of damage, but the human species will go extinct. We're on an extinction pattern, and happy talk and magical thinking and hopium won't change that. How do you, with as someone who sees what's happening, feels what's happening, documents what's happening, how do you deal with that it's not a certainty but it's that's where we're headed and it's good to say it out loud and be honest because unless we're honest you don't want an optimistic oncologist to tell you everything's going to be right so you don't treat the uh, cancer you'll die we need not optimism we need truth and then we need plans to make things happen and we need a transformation what's your take on all of that well i, I think you need to have the strength to be an optimist, I think the optimist and the pessimist both look at the data and they can both agree. But imagine, Paul, if you and I are in a little rowboat and it's taken on water. We're about 100 yards from shore. We got a guy in the boat that's a pessimist who says, we're fucked, we're going to drown. We got another guy who's an optimist who says, I think we can make it to shore. Let's, let's go for it. I want to be with the optimist. You know, the data is the data. The circumstances are the are real. And we're both looking at it, you know, and agreeing that it's, you know, the same thing. So um, I feel that what I'm trying to do personally with my films is I want people to be turned on to fall in love with nature in order to protect it. If they fall in love with it, they'll make all the right choices, you know, like what type of fuel to use, what kind of food to eat, um, all the things all the choices we make that affect the environment, we can, we can, we can make those changes and we can, you know, change course and pivot and go in the right direction. We just, we just got to get out of the way and let nature do its thing. It has tremendous healing power. You know, we see it, you know, we pollute a river 
And then, you know, people come back even 20, 30 years later, and you see that it's been cleaned up just by leaving it alone. Nature is extraordinarily resilient. Um, but we are obviously at a tipping point. We can't, you know, wait around any longer. And I think that the work that you do and the work that I'm trying to do is it's really about shifting consciousness. If you put the scientific data out there, let's be honest, it hasn't worked. You can't tell people that the ice cap is melting. You know, it doesn't do anything. It just sometimes makes people feel despair and hopeless, and there's nothing they can do about it. Instead, I think we have to inspire people to, you know, plant a garden, you know, uh, protect the pollinators. Anybody can grow a tomato plant on their back porch. I mean, there are so many things we can do that can change the trajectory that we're on. The younger generation is totally into it. Um, so let's just, you know, get get people to love it. And if they love it, we're hardwired, I think, to protect it. That's well said. Is this why you created this new channel? Will you tell everyone about it? I love this idea. Yeah, well, so um, we created the Louis channel in order to have a, a platform, an OTT platform, similar to like Netflix and Disney Plus and all those channels that you can watch on your smart TV, Apple TV, Roku device. And, um, you know, I've got a lot of content that I just want to get out and share with people. You know, so it, it's a it's a free platform, and I'm also inviting um, my friends to be able to put their films up as well. So, for example, Howard Hall, who's the greatest underwater cinematographer, you can see all of his amazing underwater films. Um, we have a whole carousel about gratitude, about about mushrooms with fungi, uh, moving art. Um, I've got Louis Land which I want to have for children and children's hospitals. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be, I think, just a, a place to go also for live podcasts and events and um, holding you know the space for all kinds of great conversations, all about celebration of life, people or planet, whatever it might be. As long as it's about the celebration of life, we want to feature it. And isn't that what the gratitude movie really is all about? It's a celebration of life. Yeah. It's looking at people and how inspiring they can be and how being passionate about what you do is I is the key to happiness and gratitude. So we just got to keep on, you know, again, getting people to to walk on that path. And when you do that, the universe you know, has your back and things will unfold and 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 we can just, you know, we, we got to just change the story on, on a giant scale. And Paul, you're doing that. Look, you're going straight to your audience without the gatekeepers. Have you ever said to a broadcaster, boy, I want to have this, you know, uh, show where I get to talk to remarkable people about, you know, celebration of life or saving the planet or what we can do to make the world better? It'd be a tough sell. And that's why I think that... Um, you know, what you've done for 10 years is remarkable. What I'm trying to do now is we're we're skipping the gatekeepers because the gatekeepers are selling fear and anxiety in order to get ratings because they want to press your button and keep you addicted to coming back to that platform by leveraging fear. We're doing the harder job, which is like 
just having honest conversations about what life can be. Is this potentially heaven on earth? Let's let's look at that for a moment, you know, as opposed to the fact that like we're done for and you know we're all gonna die. <laughs> Perfectly said. Well said, and thank you for your compliments. To me, and this is the cutting edge thing where there's this deep interwoven relationship between grief, grieving, and gratitude. If it wasn't so temporary and so fleeting, it wouldn't be so magical, special, and precious and sacred, and that everything changes and ends, everything, the universe, us, the moment. But yet it's so beautiful too. And that's why I was outside laughing and crying. And when I look so deeply, either through the your film, which really is films really plural, or or even your TED stuff, it just points me so deeply into that that razor's edge of this fleeting beauty that we live in, but to focus on the beauty while feeling the fleeting grieving, that's like the deepest state for me. And I can't always stay there. No one can, I think. You just kind of, ah, you have to take a breath and then you're paying a bill or you're completely in wonder and you're not much used to anything or anyone, but who cares? You're immersed in the glory. Yeah, but but what you're observing is, you know, a transformation, you know? The cycle of life and all of that. And I think, you know, um, transformation is another word for like spirituality. You know, it's transformational, it's spiritual. And when you see the cycle of life, you can appreciate the beauty of that. You know, I, I did a film, Oceans of Air, back in 1992 for Discovery as a special. It was really one of the first films about um, climate change. So I filmed it on the Olympic Peninsula looking at all the four ecosystems, coastal, rain shadow, glacier, and um, rainforest. And in order to tell that story, I used the mythology of the Native American indigenous people who live there, uh, the Clinkets. And so their definition of God is called Kwati. And Kwati, if the closest English definition of what that is, is the changer that everything changes, that is God. That's a really cool way of looking at things. I know I have to let you go, but I did want to ask you, how do we maximize our time in this state of wonder? I think that once you find that portal, whether it's staring at a flower, riding the wave, listening to music, whatever it is, I think once you're there, then you have to kind of soak it up and, you know, learn to, to to be there for a longer time and not get distracted and jump into the trigger of the fear of putting out the fire of, of of doing that to be able to hang there and once you're there i also think it's good to stop that intellectual questioning of well, what is this and and really dive into the emotion of just feeling it you know like why is it beautiful? Well, in, instead of thinking about it, just feel it. What is the music doing to me? What, what does that color red do to me? You know, what is that wavelength of energy doing? And, and instead of trying to being again analytical about it, try to settle into just feeling it, just feeling it, and say, I want to be part of that vibration. That is, is I believe, healing. And then later on, I think perhaps you can you know, turn on the the mind 
to try to understand what it was about that vibration that moved you so deeply. But I think a lot of times, once we get to that moment of of being, you know, filled with wonder and awe, we get a bit, a little, at least I get a little bit too analytical about it. You know, the scientists, they want to describe how things work. You know, they'll look at that pollinator example I talked about earlier, and they'll tell you what's going on with the pollen getting stuck to the hairs on the bee and how it moves from flower to flower. And voila, we have fruits, nuts, and vegetables. The artist will look at that in a whole different way. And it's almost about kind of like the why. What kind of energy is behind this that is driving life to go forward? And, and how is it that beauty is the thing that's driving it? That is manipulating it. That is that is creating this, you know, behavior that affects us when we fall in love, and right, and have families and children, right? You know, we're 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 being quote unquote manipulated in some way by beauty all the time, in a good way, you know. And so, it's something that fascinates me, as you can tell. Um, I love to look at it from both angles. But bliss and wonder, I think, is that intersection between art and science. You've been listening to the What Matters Most podcast, a 100% listener-supported program. If you feel inspired, please go to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash what matters most and join our family. So until the next time, stay inspired and in the light.